So hey guys, we're back with another one. Of course we are. That's why we're here to learn more about Western history. And today we have Donna Harrell on the phone. And Donna, this is Donna's third time on the podcast. She's actually my first third timer. And um, she is a wealth of knowledge. And she'll be talking to us about uh, the Younger family, the Youngers, Cole Younger, uh, the James, Quantrill's Raiders. Uh, she's family uh, with, um, God, I always get it with the youngers, right? Yes. Yep. She's family with the youngers. And so if you're not sure about Donna, go back in my podcast and listen to part one and part two, because this is a continuation of, and, um, she's super great. And you're going to want to hear everything about her. Of course, we want to thank the folks at the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest running newspaper. Uh, it's 60 bucks for three years, two years for 45 or one year for 25. I urge folks to go with the three year for 60 because overall it saves you $15 instead of, instead of paying year by year. And you can do that at the tombstoneepitaph.com. And of course, we must thank the folks over at the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. I believe that Donna is a, a board member. I'm looking for her name. Yep, she's a board member. And uh, she knows everything about wildwesthistory.org and the association. Now, I'm a member. Uh, it's 75 bucks a year to join. And what you get for that 75 bucks is a journal. And I think it was Donna that said, you know, Mike, it's like getting a book. Like people think for 75 bucks, well, what do I get? Do I get a t-shirt or a sticker? Well, you get the journal and that journal is a hundred plus pages on average around 105, 110, maybe more, maybe less, but that's on average. And it's a book and it's really comes to your door for about 19 bucks and it's delivered right to your door. And it's 100% true provenance researched history with no makeup ads or car ads or any of that stuff. It's true history. And if you just want solid packed, like every page, every time you turn the page, you're like, what is there more? And then you turn the next page. Well, oh my God. Like it's that crazy. It's that filled with history. And, uh, and Donna's a board member of the Wild West History Association. And, uh, and I'm a member and, and we really urge you to join. I think you'll love it. Oh, and we have the Roundup coming up in South Dakota. So hopefully you guys are listening. You can be like, oh my God, I want to go to the Roundup. We want you there. I want to meet you. I'll have some Cochise County Travel stickers to give away. And uh, and I want to meet you because I know Donna's going to be there. And, and I look forward to seeing Donna as well. Um, do you have anything to add on that? I think we're good, right? Yeah, I think so too. I think, yeah, the Roundup uh, starts uh, July the 20th in Rapid City and hope uh, lots of people come and it should be a real good time. And if you're listening to this podcast after Rapid City and you're like, oh my gosh, I missed it. We'll plan for 2023 because I believe Roundup is in San Antonio, Texas, and we'll be heading south to San Antonio and uh, all the stuff, all the Western history that is in San Antonio will be in 2023. And I urge you to start thinking about planning ahead for that because, uh, and, and getting on the website because when they drop the reduced rates for hotel rooms and all the cool things that, that we're going to be doing. And of course, I'm going to be there and Donna's going to be there. And oh my gosh, there's going to be so many people there. You know, we just can't wait to see it. So 2023 will be the Wild West History Roundup in San Antonio, Texas. Focusing a lot on the Texas Rangers. So I think there's mm -hmm. a, I think it's like the 200th anniversary of the 
beginning of the Texas Rangers. Don't quote me on the 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 date, but I know it's a big Texas Ranger thing. We're going to go to Fredericksburg and a lot of different places, so it should be fun. I can't wait. I I just picked up uh, Chuck Parsons' new book uh, about Kingfisher, and um, it is all about Texas history. It's just packed. I'm I'm learning stuff about Texas that I never knew. Um, so if you really want a good book that's brand new on the market right now, 2022, it just came out in July, check out Chuck Parsons' book about Kingfisher. Uh, so Donna's back, like I said, for part three, and she's my third, first third-timer. And uh, last time we spoke, we were talking about the Youngers, and who else were we talking about? Texas. Well, we were talking about, uh, we gone through a little bit of family and into the Civil War, and we left off about the time of the Lawrence, Kansas raid by Quantrell's men in 1863. Well, let's continue on, because I mentioned at the last part of part two, which was I really wanted to get into William Quantrill and Quantrill's raider, and I think that's where we're moving into, so I, I think it's a great way, so... What happened in Lawrence? How did everything come come about? Well, it all started back in the beginning of the Civil War and with the hatred from before the Civil War with the border war between Kansas and Missouri over whether Kansas was going to be slave or free. There was a lot of fighting back and forth over the fate of that future state, and a lot of hatreds continued on very radical slave followers, people that wanted slavery to be in Kansas and to continue in the country versus some very radical people that would do anything to end slavery, the abolitionists, And it got really nasty and bloody, and then it continued into the Civil War. Missouri was taken over by the Union, and it was under martial law. A lot of the Kansans were patrolling the state and causing a lot of havoc and going after southern People, they didn't even have to own slaves, but they were just Southern people of Southern descent and arrests. Of course, there was all laws were suspended so they could keep people in prison. Uh, The guerrilla movement, because the Confederates had left the state of Missouri, even though they accepted Missouri as a Confederate state, one of the stars in the Confederate battle flag is for Missouri, but the Union didn't accept that the state had uh, seceded, so Missouri kind of was the odd one that was considered a Confederate state and a United State. Anyway, things had gotten bad. By 1863, the guerrillas, of which William Quantrell was one of the leaders. Quantrell was originally from Ohio. He was a man who wanted to 
get his fortune and make something himself. And he was one of the people that went to the Kansas Territory. He had been a school teacher in Ohio. He wanted to do something different in Kansas, but he ended up being a school teacher. In fact, he was a school teacher in Lawrence, Kansas, which was the hotbed of abolitionist feeling in, in this new state. Quantrell was involved in some of the Jayhawker movement, and the Jayhawkers were the Kansas guerrillas that hated slavery and hated Missourians and would go and raid into the state and pillage and plunder. Well, then, for whatever reason, Quantrell had a change of heart, or maybe he was a very ambitious man, and he saw a vacuum of leadership in Missouri. So he set up an ambush for his Jayhawker friends, told the Missourians that, hey, I'm on your side now, and then he started gathering a following. He was a very charismatic man who was able to gather followers and they made little small little raids against um soldiers and patrols and maybe they went after some of the jayhawkers in the area they were seen as protectors because the army had left the confederate army left all the soldiers had left from the state guard So all that was left to protect the farmers that were being raided by Jayhawkers were Quantrell and his little band of men. He started out maybe six guys, and then it built up until Quantrell was not the only guerrilla leader in western Missouri, but he became the most well-known. So let me me stop you, because you explained about the Jayhawkers, in part two, in case you're new to what that is, just real quickly, what's a Jayhawker? A Jayhawker is a kind of a made-up bird, like there's a, a blue jay. And jays are scavengers, and they steal from other birds. And a hawk is more of a predator, so, which attacks. So, a jayhawker is sort of a made-up word. So, uh, meaning somebody that steals, but is also a predator and who attacks. Gotcha. I just and wanted... that's kind of what these people were doing. Awesome. They were attacking farms mm-hmm. and stealing items, stealing the slaves, stealing pianos, clothes firearms, you name it, and they took it back to Kansas. And um, they attacked towns and whole cities. And one of the things that led up to the hatred between the two states is in 1861, Jim Lane and his man, his Jayhawker men, they attacked the town city of Osceola, Missouri. They destroyed it. And a number of people in town were killed. They stole the city blind with everything they could put into wagons. 
and then they burned it down. They burned it down. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a great hatred. Now, there were plenty of other towns that suffered the same fate, but Osceola was kind of probably the biggest right. and one of the first. So, mm-hmm. Well, I was just then, curious about the Jayhawker part because in case, yeah. you know, they got lost. So before I cut you off, we were we were talking about the emergence of Quantrill's Raiders and there being multiple guerrilla war, you know, guerrilla groups, small groups. Let's continue on that. Yeah, there were a number of groups all over the state, uh, different ones. Sam Hildebrand down in the, the Boot Hill uh, was was very prominent there. There were some others around Kansas City, north of the river, uh, Francis Scott. And then there was uh, a bunch of others south of the river where Kansas City independents are. And Quantrell, though, was unique in the way that he applied to the Confederate government to be able to start a company under the Confederate Partisan Ranger Act. The Confederate government had set up this Partisan Ranger Act that people in these states that were outside of the Confederacy, but still part of the Confederate States of America, they were able to set up their own little commands. They could, they had to have a command structure. They had to follow somewhat the rules of war, but they had independence in their area. Well, Quantrell applied and he was made a captain of the Confederate army and he set up his command And when they were in Confederate territory, they were able to get provisions from the Confederate stores, get supplies. They were able to wear the uniforms, but they just didn't, didn't because it just didn't work for them. And it was hard to get a hold of uniforms, although I think Quantrell had one. But, uh, so they were actually Confederate soldiers per the Confederacy, but the United States did not recognize the the Partisan Ranger Act. And so they called all these men were outlaws and they were to be shot on sight. There no trial. They were spies and outlaws and shot on sight. So we get up to eighteen sixty three Quantrell is the big man in the area, but not the only one. And he's itching to go to Lawrence because Lawrence, again, is the hotbed of the abolitionist movement. And that's where all the booty's gone and they're auctioning off all the stuff from the cities and towns. And and so he wants to go there, but it's a long way. It's a long trip. It's like a two and a half, three day long ride and so people said no it's just too dangerous we're we're not going to be able to do that and so he was biding his time until till the time was right to go over the kansans they knew that quantrell was going to come somewhere along the line and lawrence was the obvious target jim lane lived there 
Charles Jensen, Jensen's Red Legs and the Jayhawkers. They were in Lawrence area, a lot of them, leadership. They had patrols up and down the border between Kansas and Missouri. So every so often the Union patrols would go up in there. In Lawrence, they had uh, their groups that they would watch and they had drills in case Quantrell came and what everybody was going to do in the case that Quantrell's men attacked. Finally, by August of 1863, the people of Lawrence were kind of bored with nightly drills and rumors and they they just kind of got over it and decided, well, Quantrell's not going to come, and they let their guard down. In the meantime, as I talked about last time, on August 13th, there was a prison collapse in Kansas City that held a lot of female relatives of Quantrell's men, and a number of those girls were killed, and the talk and the rumors and with some evidence that the collapse was engineered accidentally or on purpose or accidentally on purpose and the prison collapsed. A number of girls were killed. That was the union policy at the time. They couldn't get rid of Quantrell and the guerrillas. So they decided to arrest their women and take the women and get them out of Missouri, hoping that the men would follow. So first step was to gather them all up and imprison them. And there were prisons in St. Louis and Kansas City and all points in between. So with Osceola, all the other towns that were destroyed, most of the men that were with Quantrell they had lost family. They had lost farms. Cole Younger was one of the men with Quantrell in August of 1863. His father had been killed, had been murdered by a Union captain. His family farms had been destroyed, uh, burned out. The Their financial holdings in Harrisonville. They had uh, a stable. They had dry goods scores. Those had been burnt out. And his, his situation was not unique. And all these men had hatred. And I say men, but some of Quantrell's men were 14, mm-hmm. 15, on up to you know, much older men mm-hmm. and all points in between. And so they had all this hatred. And now the union in their mind were killing their women. And that was it. They they just got, that was, they were done. They, they had to do something. And so Quantrell said, we're going to Lawrence. And they all went, yeah, yeah, we're going to Lawrence. We're going to Lawrence. And we're going to kill them all. And so... He put this plan he already had put up together. He sent some of his men to Lawrence to kind of check out what the feel of the city was. And one of the men he sent 
was one of the was John Nolan, who was one of the free black uh, Quantrell's men. And so John Nolan would be able to go into Lawrence and nobody would think a thing about him. But he sent some other men as well to kind of get some some intelligence of what's going on in the city. So on August 19th, they set out. They set out from Kansas City area, kind of south of the river, and gathered up all of Quantrell's men, all the men under Bill Anderson, all the men under George Todd, all the guerrilla units in the area. Word went out, we're going to Lawrence. Uh, they, on their way over to cross the street, they ran into some a Confederate recruiting group, and those soldiers joined them. They wore captured Union blue uniforms Mm -hmm. as they were going. They traveled a lot at night. They rarely stopped for anything but food. They pretty much slept in their saddles. They headed over. They crossed the state line over into Kansas. Now, the group was seen, but the the side on the Kansas side, the Union soldiers thought they were Union men. They thought that it was a, a Union group because they were wearing blue. So they didn't say anything. Later on, another group saw them. They were suspicious, and they sent word to their command that there was this big group of soldiers coming across from Missouri, and we're not sure who they are. So they sent word to Kansas City to the the head of the Union Army in, in that area, and he couldn't be found. And then the message just stayed until the next day. And by that time, it was too late. Because on August 21st, like at daybreak, Quantrell's 400 or so men showed up on the outskirts of Lawrence. Now, they had lists, and each group had their list of who they were supposed to go after and what part of town that person lived. So Jim Lane, the governor, uh, Charles Robinson lived in Lawrence. There was other leaders of the Jayhawkers and the Red Legs that lived in town. Quantrell had lived in Lawrence, so he knew where a lot of these things were and where these people had lived. So he had maps and he knew, told each group where to go and how to get there. They went in, a couple of uh, men were sent in and to see if the town was as quiet as it looked. And it was. And so they took out and they took off their blue coats and off down the hill they went and rode through the town. There was a command of um, black soldiers and they were 
killed. There were a lot of others, soldiers that were in the area that were killed. Now, in Lawrence, they had set up like a, a home guard militia that if they were attacked, they had like an armory in town where they kept all their rifles and everything they needed to fend off an invasion. Well, they they were caught completely unaware and they were not able to get to those guns. Hmm. So the men that were supposed to protect the town were busy protecting themselves. It, because, it sounds like, can I ask you? It sounds well, like the way Quantrill's Raiders, when they talk about guerrilla warfare, <clears throat> like he really changed up the way war was done at that period. You know, wearing different clothing, going by night, doing recon, getting intel. It Was that true? I mean, did, did Quantrill change up the way that warfare was done at that time? It was different. Uh, certainly for a ragtag, informal uh, group of men, none of them really had uh, military experience. They had not... They weren't military men. They weren't ex-military. They were farmers. They were businessmen. They were just the regular guy that picked up a gun and, or in many cases, multiple guns, and they set out. And they followed this man who was a school teacher. That's what's Quantrell had no military training whatsoever. Um... Uh, they were affiliated with the Confederate Army, but they had not been trained. It's not like they'd been drilled or anything. And a lot of Confederate, a lot of Quantrell's men and the other guerrilla groups, they fought when they had time. They were farmers. So they would pick up and they would go fight a little skirmish and then they would go back to their farms. And, and, they weren't there like constantly. And so it was a very professional. And that's why I think a lot of people followed him because he did do that. And that was other skirmishes that they had been involved in up to the point of Lawrence, mm. that sort of, uh, recon or the disguises and stuff were not unusual, hmm. but Lawrence was the big one. So they, that's where hmm. Quantrell's remembered is, is, Lawrence. is Lawrence. So when we were talking, and I cut you off as always, <laughs> um, and I'm sorry for doing that. My brain gets no, that's going. fine. Um, they were attacking Lawrence. The armory was under attack. How long did they stay in Lawrence? How many, was it hours that they just raided or were they in and out? Three hours. Three hours. They were in Lawrence for three hours. They had posted um, pickets around the city to watch for any incoming Union soldiers. In the meantime, they just wreaked havoc. They had their lists and so they would go to that person's house and if the guy was in there, they would drag him out and kill him. Um, they 
Jim Lane was at the far end of the town and he heard shooting and he didn't even wait to find out what the shooting was. He was in his nightshirt and he ran out of the house off as far as he could run into the corn and hid. And the Quantrell's men, they showed up at Jim Lane's house and they searched the house. They looked all around. They couldn't find anything. And uh, they helped Jim Lane's wife take a few things out of the house. And then they were in the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, that happened to a lot of other uh, men that did get away. They were able to run away and hide. Now, sometimes the hiding places didn't work so well. There was some guys, they went and got in the well outside of the house. Well, the the men showed up and they were going to uh, attack the house. They couldn't find the men. So they got the family out of the house and they burned the house. Well, the smoke from the house burning, these men ended up dying in the well of smoke inhalation. And uh, there was one guy, he was a reverend, Hugh Fisher, that they wanted real bad. He was a reverend, and he'd go into Missouri churches and steal all the things in the church and take them back to his church in Lawrence. And um, so they wanted him real bad. Well, he ended up, I guess they had a basement. And there was a crawl space. And the Quantrell's men, they searched the house and they searched. And Fisher's wife said, oh, you know, he's not here. He's not here. And um, Hugh Fisher was very lucky. He wasn't seen. And then they said, well, okay, he was not here. We're going to set the house on fire and we're going to burn it. And she's like, oh, okay. So she said, she, he got out, she got him to get out of his crawl space and she covered him up and rolled him up into this large rug that she had and the house is on fire. And she said, well, I really love this rug. I really need this rug. It was my family's rug, whatever. She told them some story. So Quantrell's men helped her carry this rug mm. out to the yard and Hugh Fisher stayed in that rug for hours and we, but he lived because his wife mm-hmm. you know came up with some ideas there were there were a number of other men that the women their wives mothers helped them and persuaded the gorillas not to kill them for what ever reason or they were able to hide their men and they saved quite a few or saved things in their houses so the women none of the women were hurt physically I mean obviously their husbands or sons or fathers or whatever were being killed but they it was the chivalry they they were not going to hurt the women so they didn't and so some of the women got away with saving their men folk mm-hmm. and uh but 
I think most of the town was burnt. All but the Stone family, who owned one of the hotels in town. He was a friend and had Quantrell like this family. And he and there were some other families in town that Quantrell was friends with. So he had given some of the men in his command to go guard those residents or those businesses Mm -hmm. and said, well, these are my friends. So guard them. So Mm -hmm. they're not attacked. Mm -hmm. And the one, the stone family had uh, a hotel. And so they guarded the hotel. Quantrell used it as his headquarters. The people that were in the hotel were kind of lumped into that safe zone. And, um, one of uh, Quantrell's men was drunk. Well, a lot of them, I think, got drunk that day. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to steal some of the jewels that the uh, one of the stone daughters was wearing. And Quantrell said, no, you get out. You don't touch them. They're, nothing of theirs gets touched. So the guy left. And um, so well, Quantrell did well, his thing. And- let me ask you, because at the end of all of this, as Lawrence is being raided, three hours go by, the raiders all dissipate and leave. They all go back to a, a, a point, a select point, I'm sure. The people in town must have been like, how did the entire burn down but your building, your hotel? Was there resentment or was it, we know now that do not mess with this hotel. Do not mess with the Stone family. Well, I think it was the some of the ones that weren't killed or weren't attacked, they were seen as possibly spies that they had helped Quantrell mm-hmm. and that they had helped um, had him raid the town. So mm-hmm. it was... Uh, probably pretty dicey for some of those families. Then again, there was such devastation. Even in those days, it was in millions of dollars and it was huge. And uh, the amount of people, boys, men and mostly, were killed probably around, they don't even have a full count because it was a big city. People were in town, travelers and stuff and so just people that weren't even living there that probably got caught up in all of this but around 180 men and boys were were killed but most of them if not all of them had taken part in jayhawk or red leg raids most of the houses in town had furniture clothes, uh, furnishings that the Raiders could identify as coming from their own homes or their family members' homes. There were warehouses in Lawrence that were stacked full of things that had been stolen and taken from Missourians, and those were all burned. They uh, didn't want the Kansans to have all of those. So, yeah, the uh, 
the Raiders, they, they burned homes, they burned businesses, all the ones that they were supposed to, but, but it they, was all, it was all in retaliation, they, correct? Yes. It was all, it was in all retaliation. revenge, retaliation for what had happened. And I think that's why I mentioned that because I don't want it to be where people listen and they go, Oh my gosh, that guy was a jerk. Like, you know, he, you know, he just did this for no reason. No, there was a, there was a defining moment. It was, it was for revenge. So, and retaliation. Oh, totally. For all the other, uh, Jayhawker and Red Leg raids into Missouri that killed hundreds, thousands of men, burned farms, burned towns, the, Prison with the girls being imprisoned and the prison collapse, uh, just all of that. And Lawrence was the headquarters of that movement, the Red Legs and the Jayhawkers. So Lawrence was where was the heart of it. Like the Alamo. And so that's why mm. they went to Lawrence and they were so vicious. Again, these men, these 400 men were farmers. They were men like, they were just guys that were afraid for their families. Maybe they had lost everything. Maybe they had lost family members to this red legs and jayhawkers. And they just wanted to get back at them. And they did. I mean, they, they just decimated Lawrence. Well, after three hours, some of the pickets had seen, uh, smoke in the distance. Finally, the Union soldiers realized they could see the smoke for miles from Lawrence. And so they were headed to Lawrence. So Quantrell gathered up all of his men, but one. One guy, the guy that had gone after the Stone Girls, uh, Jules, and he was, went back to the hotel after Quantrell and the men left, and he shot and killed, uh, Quantrell's friend who owned the, the hotel, and he stole the jewels from the girl. Mm. Well, he went out, and he was totally drunk. And he was all by himself. Everybody else, all the Quantrell's men left. Mm-hmm. And this guy was by himself. Well, the women and the men that had come out of hiding, they got this guy and they literally tore him to shreds in revenge for, you know, what had happened. Mm-hmm. He was the only casualty on the 400 and so men that Quantrell brought over. They had a running battle back to Missouri all the way. They, again, great military tactics. He had the main body of men, and then he had kind of a, a fallback position, and they kind of held the militia that was in the army that was hold that was after them back. And then they would switch around and to kind of keep, give a space between the union army and the 400 of Quantrell's men. And they had a running battle all the way across the state and they didn't lose a man 
They went 400 and some odd men from Missouri, raided Lawrence, then a running battle all the way back across the state for a couple of days. And they didn't lose a man. They got back to Missouri. Well, actually, they only lost the guy Larkin in, in Lawrence. But just amazing that they got across, back across the border without losing anyone in this running battle all the way across. And then they scattered. Everybody went back to their farms, their towns, and just took off. But that wasn't the end of Quantrill's Raiders, though. That was, no. So how did they, if everybody's splintering, how did they keep in communication? Everybody was family and word of mouth and ride by and, and say, hey, we're getting together. Gotcha. And um, just they knew different rendezvous points and they would just, okay, I've I got a day. I can I can do something. So they would go to the local rendezvous point. Mm-hmm. And but mostly it was word of mouth. But the union came across and they considered every man who had probably been on this raid and they went on their own vengeance and Jim Lane got a, some men from Lawrence and some from the other cities and he crossed the border into Missouri and they started killing farmers and just you know oh well you you say you weren't with them huh yeah right boom and uh, they killed a lot because of, you know, trying to, again, they had no idea either because he was just farmers. And, yeah, he could have been involved or he could have not been involved. And um, so there was a big retaliation. Wow. The martial law, the um, they were retaliated officially and it was called general order number 11 and it was decided that they needed to depopulate the worst of the counties in missouri the the counties that held the most of quantrell's base and there were five counties uh jackson where kansas city and is at uh cass county where independence is or uh harrisonville is there's uh, a lot of counties further south of there. They were given 15 days to get out of the county Mm -hmm. and they were going to burn it. And it became known as the burnt district. And a lot of those people weren't given 15 days and, and they, the union soldiers and the red legs, Jayhawkers came in and they burnt out uh, all these people. And they weren't able to sell their crops. They weren't able to gather up anything. Um, if they could pass a loyalty oath, if they, it was definitely known that they were loyal to the union, they were able to move into some of the larger cities and they were given a little bit of money for their crops. But for the most part, everybody had to leave. And 
all the horses, a lot of horses had been stolen over the years. Uh, there were very little cows, oxen, anything. A lot of the, everything had been stolen and taken over to Kansas. So it was very difficult for the refugees, you might want to say, to, to leave that area. And they had to leave on foot. And most of the men were either dead or in hiding. So it was the women and the children walking out of this area in the summer in the Midwest. And um, it was it was a very difficult time. And they call it back there uh, Jensen's Monuments. And it was basically out in the woods and all around that area of Missouri, you could see just stone chimneys. Mm-hmm. And they were called Jensen's Tombstones or Jensen's Monuments. Mm-hmm. And there's still a couple of them out there really? in the hills and the hollows of of Jackson County. Wow. And uh, Have you seen there's one? still some. I have seen some at a distance, mm-hmm. and uh, again, it's not easy area to go through. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harrisonville in Cass County, they have a monument the, that they put up, the Burnt District Monument, and it's a replica of a stone sta- a stone chimney, and all around it talks about you know, what happened back there and order number 11 and stuff. And you can go visit that. Um, it's in Harrisonville. So we have 15 minutes left and you aren't, <laughs> you're not podcast. You're not number three. Uh, Peter, <laughs> Peter Brand actually has three of them. So you and Peter share a distinct distinction. Uh-huh. When, um, after Lawrence, the raid on Lawrence, and Quantrill's raiders split apart and they go their own ways, was there another raid that's equally as big as Lawrence, or did Quantrill do smaller raids and smaller crime, or or was Lawrence the big one? Lawrence was the pinnacle. It was the it was the pinnacle. I would say uh, there had been. A number of raids up until from 1861 when he started up until Lawrence in August of 1863. Uh, they always wintered in Texas. So on their way, a bunch of them got together and they went to Texas after in late 1863 for, uh, and they attacked a fort. Well, it was kind of a fortress. A, a want-to-be fort in Baxter Springs, and they ended up attacking a general uh, that happened to be in the area. And the general got away, but they got the general's sword, and they got some stuff from the general, and they killed a number of the men at the fort. And I think there was a, a band that had gone along with the general, and... Uh, they had some guns and they fired on the Quantrell's men. And so a number of the, the band were killed as well. That was a big one. 
and especially since they attacked this general. And um, that kind of got some some notice. After that, in Texas, Quantrell wanted to continue on being cautious. He didn't just raid anywhere, everywhere. They had taken over Independence for a day. They had taken over this town for a day. They'd been very strategic. Well, a lot of his men decided they didn't want to be strategic. They just wanted to kill. We don't care. We're going to kill. We're going to go. We're going to kill. If we get killed, we get killed, but we're going to kill. And so there was more of a breakup, kind of a power struggle between the men that wanted to just take, they wanted to just be risky. They, they just kill was all they, they were just single minded kill and destroy. Mm-hmm. And Quantrell and his guys that kind of wanted to be a little more strategic and not waste lives their own not waste or not just kill indiscriminately mm-hmm. and so there was kind of a breakup after that some of the men including Cole Younger left and went off to the regular army um, Cole Younger's brother-in-law John Jarrett was a captain and his unit joined the regular Confederate army. And I think Cole was his Lieutenant and they went to Louisiana and they were chasing cotton thieves. People over there, they were um, stealing cotton and then selling it to the union. Mm-hmm. And uh, so John Jarrett's command, including Cole Younger left Quantrell's group, and they went to Louisiana Hmm. and uh, fought with the regular Confederate Army. Well, can we end it there? We can end it right there. That's a good place to end it. And and the reason I'm saying that is, is because there's more. And if you guys are wondering, if you're listening to this and you're like, you know, all of this is in Donna's head. (laughs) Like, she's probably got some notes there at the house. But I called her like 30 minutes before the podcast and I said, hey, you want to do one real quick? The guy that I was going to interview got sick. And she's like, yeah, sure. Let's continue on our story. All of this is in her head. And uh, that's why there's a couple of gaps on names, because I remember like Stone. I remember his last name, but I don't remember his first name. (laughs) Well, that's okay. I mean, you know, I, I was impressed that you knew about General Order Number 11 and the Burnt District and Jensen's Monuments. Like, those were specifics. I wrote those down because I'm like, I got to research those. I got to read about them. And I think that's the fun thing about doing a podcast with Donna, if you're wondering, because it is, it's everyday conversation for her because it's all in her head. It's not like she's reading it on a piece of paper. And I, I really appreciate and, and I love her to death for coming on and saying, um, uh, and doing these podcasts. Do you have anything to promote before we go? I don't really have anything like specific, but I you had asked the last time about uh, some books. Yes. And there's a couple of them for our ladies listeners. There's there was a book uh, it's called Reminiscence of the Women of Missouri during the 60s. And it was Originally put together by the 
uh, the Daughters of the Confederacy. And it was published in 1913. And it's reminiscence from and short stories from the ladies mm. that were involved in all of this mm-hmm. and their experiences during the war. And some of them were Union ladies and some of them were Confederate ladies. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to get uh, the women's perspective of of what happened because the women were truly on the front line as well because they had to hide their men. They had to feed soldiers that came in. Okay, are you with this group or that group? If they fed or helped the wrong group, then their house was burnt. Mm. And a lot of them, they got, they were spies and they got information to their men or they were, they got ammunition to get to the men and uh, they were extremely involved. There's another one called Bushwhacker Bells. Ooh, that sounds like And it's by a guy, author named Larry Wood. And uh, Bushwhacker Bells, the sisters, wives, and girlfriends of the Missouri Gorillas. And that one's... Well, you had mentioned Out. you had mentioned about Outlaw Josie Wales last time, and you had said you should get watch the movie. And I honestly had not seen the movie. I had seen it in pieces on YouTube, and then my wife went to the library and got it. And like the first twenty five or thirty percent or thirty five percent of the movie really follows that period. Yeah, and it was really you know the, I I honestly could have seen a whole movie about that period it was really good so if you're wanting if you're a younger person and you're like you want to see it in a visual sense go get the movie outlaw josie wales and watch that and about the first i don't want to say half maybe less than half of the movie really follows along during that period about what was going on in missouri and in kansas and and that whole time period so it's a really good really good movie if you want to see see something on a visual yeah, um, it, it is. And uh, there's the other one I mentioned, Ride with the Devil. Ride with the Devil. And that's a little bit more obscure, but uh, Toby Maguire and Jewel are in it. And it's it's also follows that period, although it has kind of a love story in there. But gotcha. it's it's really good. The, they do a really good version of the raid on Lawrence okay. in the Ride with the Devil. Gotcha. Well, we'll get her to come back. Of course, we want to thank the folks of the Tombstone Epitaph at tombstoneepitaph.com. And then our mutual friends, everybody, everybody, every single one, uh, over at um, the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. And if you need to get a hold of me personally, uh, you can do so through my blue-collar email at hvacreeferguy at gmail.com. I do air conditioning and refrigeration, so it's hvacref. E-R-Guy, G-U-I at gmail.com. Uh, and please, if you're on iTunes or Spotify, leave a rating and a review. It helps me out. Uh, you can also find these podcasts. You'll find this one probably about three days after. Every every podcast, about three days after, it'll show up on YouTube. And you can find me at Cochise County Travels on YouTube. Uh, you can find me on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher, all the podcast channels out there just by searching out Cochise County Travels. So until next time, thank you, Donna, so much. We appreciate you a bunch. And uh, safe travels, and we'll see you soon.